Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm your host, Chris Woolwind. Glad to be with you on this Independence Day weekend, July 5th. Yes, it's already passed, right? And you have had your share of barbecue. Or maybe you are grilling up some things each day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and even Monday, just to make sure nothing is missed. I wouldn't blame you at all. Glad to be here talking about, well, is your head in the clouds? Oh, some people would say mine is. But before we get to that, I just had some fun little trivia things for us, particularly since it is the the 4th of July weekend. And I ran across these and thought, well, you probably know some of these, I'm thinking. For instance, did you know that at least in 2012, the vast majority of imported U.S. flags uh, were made in China? How about that? Yeah. Does that kind of put a downer on things already? I apologize. We'll try to pick that up here. Let's see. Barbecue. Big, big weekend barbecue. I hope that you're able to get together with families regardless of, you know, some of the rules and regulations out there. And I'm not recommending, you know, super big parties. But, uh, you know, uh, in fact... This is the way I picture a lot of the uh, family get-togethers. Everybody's wearing a mask. Everybody's got a little package of wipes. And uh, in their pocket, they have uh, some hand sanitizer. And uh, it is everywhere. And by the time you're done, you are cleaner than after your shower that morning. I mean, the air is just filled with with germ-killing aromas. That's, that's how I picture it. But uh, hopefully you're not going to get arrested for being together. And uh, instead you can celebrate the freedom of being a believer in Christ and uh, being able to express that with great freedom. Uh, and sometimes in protest, as well as the freedom to be together with families. That is a very precious gift from God. But on this day, it is a big barbecue day. Approximately 150 million hot dogs and 700 million pounds of chicken are consumed on 4th of July. Wow. Those poor chickens. Not. And uh, fireworks are a big deal and again china comes up in the lead here we we import more fireworks from china than any place else uh in fact 2012 we imported 227 million dollars worth of fireworks and yet uh we exported only 11.7 million Also, I thought this was interesting, in 1776, there were two and a half million people living in these United States. Two and a half million. Today, we're running about, well, it varies from 316 to 330 million, depending on your source, 
I suppose. And uh, and then this is a need-to-know kind of thing, you know. Only John Hancock actually signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th. All the others were barbecuing in their backyard, and they would take care of it later on in the week. So good for John. Still love that man's handwritten signature. I even remember trying to copy it. Well, if you have tremors, don't even try. Uh, That's what I deal with, tremors. Not even fun. But it's so beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. Kind of like my father's. My father had a very beautiful handwritten signature. And uh, mine, you can barely read it. But there you go. So, to our topic, head in the clouds. Head in the clouds. Having your head in the clouds might be a good thing. Uh, there is a difference, though, between having clouds in your head. And sometimes after a night of uh, celebratory uh, significance, the next morning it may feel like you have clouds in your head. But on a more serious note, um, we can often have clouds in our head after... A, after uh, a significant period of loss. And we can seem to others as if we are walking around in a daze. And that is not so much about our head in the clouds as it is we have clouds in our head. It is a coping mechanism that uh, I think is, well, I think it, I think God put it there for us. I don't think there's necessarily anything particularly wrong with clouds in your head, you know, putting partying aside, because that is that is a place where space is made. And even though as believers we might feel ashamed about that, the sense of lostness after a time of grieving, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, not knowing what the next steps are in life, that can certainly be a an episode of having cloudiness in our mind, not sure where to go or what to do. And we'll talk about that. There is, though, another sense of having clouds in our head. And um, I think that comes about by uh, denial, uh, withdrawing from something that needs to be drawn into. That is to say, I want to play. I don't want to deal with the hard things in my life. So I go off to play. But really what I'm doing is my, I'm, I've got clouds in my head. I don't want to think. I don't want to address life. I don't want to confront reality. I don't want to deal with the truth. This is my escape. Well, that is a difficult situation and something that uh, we should ponder. At least first getting an awareness of the difference. That is, there is a way that having clouds in our head is a coping mechanism 
a time of space? Indeed, a time of escape, a time of rest. You know, as I was pondering this show, I, I thought about calling calling it, or, or at least looking at the topic of being burnt out. You know, when when your life is burnt, when there when you're at the end of your your candle, and uh, now there's nothing left. You're at the bottom there, and the 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 flame is struggling to burn, and then it just goes out. It's done, and that often can happen in our lives, can't it? When we invest so much energy, so much time, so much love, only to find that it is rejected. It might happen at work. It might happen in family. Uh, It might happen just with ordinary life. You are attempting to do good and be good everywhere you go, and you run out of the energy to do that anymore because Stress upon stress upon stress, problem upon problem, difficulty upon difficulty. You know, when when these things begin to pile on and you go, what what was my life for? Why did I invest three years of my life, ten years of my life, my whole life into this? And look what has happened. Everything has collapsed. And when we hit that realization, we can be burnt out. And then we just withdraw and we escape and we need time. And we can be perceived as uh, lost. And that is, you know, why I say we can have clouds in our head. But if we have clouds in our head too long, if we play too long, if we withdraw from the situation too long, if we think that we're going to get our candle wax back, by just playing, withdrawing, or, um, how would I say it, going into neutral, uh, perhaps even moving into depression. If we do that too long, then we harm ourselves. We're no longer playing in reality. It's no longer about healing. It's about a a refusal to re-engage in life. This can even affect our devotion to God. We refuse to engage with God because we develop a sense that God has let us down, that here we were living our life for God, investing energy and love and time for God, trying to do everything right, everything we've been taught, but it all collapsed. And we can enter into uh, a terrible time of not just confusion and frustration and lostness, but a time of meanness. We can be mean to ourselves and mean to others. We, in essence, rebel. And that can carry into our spiritual life and we can rebel against God. And there the scriptures talk at great length about the dangers of doing that and and how important it is to have friends who love us, a community that loves us, that will be patient with us, but will gently restore us to where we need to be. So those are some real important uh, 
issues that come if we do not discern the difference between taking space in order to mend and taking space and running to the hills and never returning. There is a, a disillusionment that, uh, that's not even the word I want. Um, there's a large difference that takes place, isn't there, between those two. And so what, what would be some things that uh, you and I could do when um, we are, let's say we're in the, we're in the coping space of, our, uh, of having clouds in our head and we're trying to cope after a, a long wilderness or a great grief. What are some things that we need to do? And, well, we talked, uh, I think, in one of our previous episodes about grieving, but I, I don't want to redress those necessarily. But I would emphasize the, the idea that you're okay. To emphasize that this space in your life is okay. It's okay to be hurt and wounded. It's okay to take time and space to gather your thoughts, to regroup, to develop a new game plan for life, and to not be in a hurry about doing that. And then to be aware of how much God wants to be a part of that process. You will find that you are deeply changed and a deeply changed person after a wilderness and then a space of time needed to not just grieve, but, but to reassess life and to regroup and to find a, a new direction and to have God be a part of that, to not do that by ourselves. Doing it by ourselves uh, I think makes the process forward longer, harder. We know that God doesn't abandon His children. He's there and, and He often, when we don't have words to speak, He knows our heart. The Bible says that His Spirit speaks with great groanings about what is going on in our heart speaks to the Father. He intercedes for us. And during those times, we will find that God supplies needs that we don't even know to ask. I think of Elijah, who is on his running away from Ahab and Jezebel because after this great victory in his life, he sees God come and... Uh, confront the false prophets of Ahab and demonstrate his glory among all the people. And, and he firmly believes this is going to be a new, a new era for Israel. But instead, Ahab and Jezebel uh, put a number on his life and he, he is suddenly filled with terror and he flees and he's lost and he's confused and he runs and along the way, God sends angels to bring him food and shelter and encourage him to rest and sleep until the time when he is then in a cave and he can 
more accurately have a dialogue with Elijah. And God does have this dialogue and and uh, solutions aren't quickly found for Elijah. In fact, he, he finds it hard to embrace uh, the things that God has for him. But what he does do, and he does a good thing, he obeys. And sometimes, you know, when we're in a space of lostness and confusion, when clouds are in our heads, if we can latch on to one important thing uh, to do, to do something, it would be to make sure our life is still in a life of obedience. Do what God wants you to do. Do the right things. Because God is with you. And at the right time and at the right occasion, He will feed you, He will nurture you, He will nurse you back to health, and at the right time, He will give you instructions about what to do next. Those are good things that I would recommend. But if you're on the other side of clouds on in your head, not cloud on your head, clouds in your head, because uh, I'm going to address that other side, you know, heavenly-minded kind of things. But if but on the other side of, of confusion is rebellion, a running away and permanently running away. In other words, coming to the place where you say, I'm done. I'm done with helping people. I'm done loving people. I'm done being in church. I'm done hanging with brothers and sisters. I'm done with God. I'm done with faith. See, that's that's a dangerous thing. And and that's a slippery slope because maybe in the beginning you didn't start out that way. After a wilderness or a grief journey, you find yourself way up in the hills smoking weed, okay, doing every rebellious thing you can think of to reclaim your independence, to reclaim your identity only to find that you are more lost than ever before that you've left behind family and friends and community because you didn't understand what was going on. You didn't understand what was going on inside of you. And so you ran. But as I said, it's a slippery slide when you get there because it it's hard to get back. If, if you don't hold on to things when you're out there and you let them go, it's difficult to grab them back. And so when you find yourself out on the outer rims of where the shepherd is, and when the shepherd calls and you can't hear his voice, you're not near enough, then uh, you, are, you are in danger. Your life is in danger. Your spiritual life is in danger. The wolves are there. The bears are there. And they will grab onto you. The temptations will be more than overwhelming. And you will find yourself sinning again and again and again and before you know it you're locked into a bondage because this is what sin does sin creates a desire for more sin that is the that is the the adam and eve problem all it creates is a desire for more a hunger for more and before long you've developed idolatry and greed in your life these things are rampant and out of control and this is why i said it's, it's very difficult to come back to Jesus. It's not impossible. You may be the prodigal son who finally finds him or herself eating uh, pig oats and wishing you could come back. And of course, 
God the Father is always waiting for you. He's calling for you. He's always calling for us. Wanting us to be near to where His counsel and His wisdom is. Because life is hard. He demonstrated that life is hard. He he put Himself in the swamp of brokenness of this world. He put Himself there to show us, yes, He knows. He knows. But He also knows how to rely on the Spirit of God. He was born not only in the human fleshly nature, but He was also born with the Spirit. And as a result, He obeyed the Spirit. He followed the Spirit. And He was showing us that we too can follow the Spirit even in times of of Gethsemane and crucifixion. And so, uh, my encouragement is, if you find yourself far out on the outer rims, come back closer to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you have to be good. It doesn't mean that you have to be right. It doesn't mean that you have to have life all figured out. It just means you don't want to lose the one good thing that made everything make sense. You were injured and harmed. Let God heal you. Okay? All right, so that's one side of, of the equation of our theme today about clouds and where they are in respect to our head, right? And so, uh, you know, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. came up with that, that wonderful saying uh, that some people are too heavenly minded or so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. I think I heard this even as a kid. And, um, and you know, it, it had a negative connotation, obviously, for me. Because it, it meant that uh, if you're too close to God, if you are thinking too much about God, then you're not really going to be interested in helping your fellow man. You're not really going to be interested in being involved and the things that matter in people's lives. I am not lying when I tell you that that is is one of the boundaries in my early Christian life that I built on me. I, I was wanting to do the things that God wanted me to do. I, wa- I was intending to be obedient and to live a life of godliness. But I also wanted to make sure that my life had an impact uh, on this world, on people's lives. I wanted to do things that would bring God a smile that he, at the end of my life, would say, well done, good and faithful one. Enter into the joy of of Christ. I wanted to be in that number. And so I always cautioned myself about being uh, not getting too caught up in theology, not getting too caught up in the academics of Bible study. I didn't want to be a Bible expert because I saw the dangers of what that did for the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the elders and the scribes. They were so into the law and the laws of God, as Jesus said, you you scour them because you think in them you'll have life. And I didn't want to get caught up in that number. 
I wanted my life to actually impact the lives of people. I wanted to rescue people. I wanted to fix problems for people. I wanted to lead them to the one who is higher than I, the rock that is higher than I, where life really was. I kept pushing people there. So I look at that statement of uh, not wanting to be so heavenly minded that I'm no earthly good. And that was a boundary for me. However, and maybe it's a boundary for you. And I, I do get it that there is criticism from the world about those Christians, you know, are so heavenly minded. They're so into their church thing that they don't care about the poor or the homeless. They don't get involved in racial tensions um, they don't intervene. They don't stand up for the for this political issue or that political issue. Well, what good is your faith if you're if if you're not going to get involved in fixing problems, right, on a grand scale? I do I do understand the criticism that has been levied against Christianity throughout numerous numerous centuries, and uh, and it is unfortunate. And so that's why it was a boundary for me. However, on the other side, now, having been a believer, uh, gosh, 44 years, I think, um, I now am recognizing there are some error in my ways, <laughs> error in my thinking. I think as I want to approach this subject, I'm, I'm looking at Jesus and his disciples. Jesus comes from heaven and he's training his disciples to carry on the good work of the kingdom, preaching and teaching the gospel, showing people how to be disciples, full, full-time disciples, students, not of the word necessarily, students, of the Lord. When I see how Jesus did this, um, there was a, an incredible amount of teaching, personal one-on-one -on -one teaching. And that teaching was not only a, a verbal teaching, it was a demonstrative teaching. Look at me. Look at how I'm living my life if I could put words in the life of Jesus with his disciples. He's, he's demonstrating the kingdom. He's demonstrating how to rely on the Spirit and the Father for everything that is needed. He's demonstrating how to trust in very real and tangible ways through all kinds of situations, whether... It was an aggressive, violent situation, potentially, like in a crowd. How to operate and live in and by the Spirit. Or when there was harsh confrontations uh, and intellectual swords being drawn. How to rely on God's Word. Those were teaching times, valuable teaching times. Or when the disciples saw Jesus uh, violently beat up and then crucified. How Jesus continued 
even on the cross, to live a life of reliance and dependence in the midst of pain. So the teaching, the discipling of the disciples, the teaching of the students, involved a great variety of of methods. And he did this for three and a half years, and he sent them on a couple of mission trips. There was the, the mission trip where it was just, you know, the close disciples. And, and then there was the mission trip where it was the 70 plus, two by twos. And so there, and we don't know how long those mission trips were, you know, the first mission trip was essentially to the Jews and the broader, larger mission trip was to both Jews and Gentiles, broadly speaking, okay, the, the ministry. And, and I love the message in both of those. Tell them that the kingdom of God is near and then prove it by doing miracles. <laughs> I, I just love that. The, it's, a great, it's a great message. It's kind of like the, the simplistic message of, a, of a, uh, an, an evangelist from South America. I'm, uh, his name is Juan Carlos Ortiz, and, and I remember listening to him at a at a youth convention and and he thought he was going to get in great big trouble because the message he preached in his church was he he gets up from the pew he says brothers and sisters my message for you today from the lord is love your neighbor and then he sat down <laughs> and he's thinking to himself he's going to get fired by the elders <laughs> you know and uh and people begin laughing because they think it's a joke uh there's others who are you know trying to, you know, is this some kind of uh, uh, teaching method he doesn't know about? So he goes back up to the pulpit and he he gives them the same message, love your neighbors, and then he sits down. And the long and short of it is that it turns into the longest worship service they ever had in their church history. It went from morning, afternoon to evening, and people were giving away houses and lands and cars to the needy in their in their community. And uh, they were fellowshipping in ways they had never fellowshipped. And it brought about a, a, a revival, not only in their congregation, but in their community. Anyway, I bring that up just because there is, there obviously is a balance between teaching and doing, uh, showing and doing. But I want us to see that when Jesus spent time with the disciples, three and a half years, the vast majority of that time was teaching. Teaching and showing, demonstrating. Teaching, showing, demonstrating. And, uh, and then when the, when, after Jesus ascends into heaven and uh, we're in the book of Acts and, and now the apostles are in the process of teaching in the many varied ways, right? Teaching, showing, and doing. And letting people see. And eventually that catches on. And so that by Acts chapter 6, when there is a, uh, some disharmony in the church between uh, the Jewish Christian believers, those who were Hebraic uh, Jews, you know, spoke the Hebrew language and were considered the devoted Jews, they were trying to take care of the widows with the, with, uh, the feeding program they had. But then you had the Hellenistic Jews, the ones who... who uh, 
typically were part of the scattered Jews from the Babylonian captivity and so forth, and they didn't speak Hebrew, they spoke Greek, and they lived beyond Jerusalem, beyond Palestine, and so uh, the Hebraic Jews, uh, as a pattern from their Judaistic path, they would feed the the, the widows of the Hebrew Jews first before they would feed the Hellenistic Jews. Well, that carried over into the new community of Christians. And so the, the apostles uh, decide to collect seven men who are full of faith in the Holy Spirit and wisdom and, and, uh, and with the approval of the congregation, the community, they begin the handling and the distribution of these foods. But one of the things that, I think it's Peter, I'm not sure, but I think Peter says, uh, we're, we're, we're using these men because we have to be about, the, about prayer. And that just strikes me. I mean, yes, they're doing ministry. They're teaching. They have to be about the word, about teaching, and about prayer. And I, and I recognize, you know, later in, in the New Testament, uh, Paul in his uh, Ephesus letter uh, talks about how, you know, some are given as apostles, evangelists, teachers, and so forth um, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I don't want to put in our minds an either or. I think what we see from Jesus and what we see from from the apostles in Acts. And then when we see the seven that were selected and then we realize that that two of them, Stephen and Philip, were actually involved in great ministry already. They were doing. But they were filled with wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit that that uh, they were teaching themselves. They were becoming teachers. And we even have evidence of Philip, once he settles down from his missionary journeys, uh, that he becomes you know, involved in the life of a community and, and he's teaching. And, and then we see what, what uh, the colleagues of Paul are doing, you know, uh, Timothy and Titus um, and, and many of the other names that are escaping me right now because it's not my point my point is is that is that uh they became teachers those who were doing the work of ministry as they as they matured they they began teaching others how to do what to do and this this process of teaching is really important and and so to get back to my theme of the show before we have to depart this afternoon I want to emphasize to each of us the importance of spending time being heavenly minded with God. To be with Him. You know, how often does Paul talk about uh, uh, casting our eyes upon heaven? Right? Uh, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of heaven. In other words, be heavenly minded. This is where our hope is. And it's this hope that produces a great endurance in our life through the troubles and the struggles. It's the knowledge that heaven awaits. That's what got Jesus through the cross, 
was he knew that this was not his home, that he was a king, and that there was a throne waiting. And it's the same thing that drove Peter and Paul on, if you read their, their, uh, the Second Timothy letter of Paul and, and of Peter. It's, it's what drives them, the Philippian letter. It's what drives them to press on. Be heavenly-minded so that you and I can be incredibly effective in the world, effective in loving our neighbors, effective in loving our community. In fact, we're supposed to love our community with an even greater fervency than the world, to care for one another. Okay? Be heavenly-minded. Allow yourself to be discipled by the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of God, okay? Spend time being heavenly-minded. I can't emphasize that enough. So that you can be earthly good. You can be the salt of the earth, the light on a hill, okay? That's the idea here. You can be, in fact, the bread of life, the passing on of the, of the bread to people in their own wilderness. You can be the one who brings a spiritual drink of water to the least of these. Okay? That's my emphasis for us today. I hope that's an encouragement to you. There is a way that if we build boundaries on these uh, on being heavenly minded that we are no earthly good well that's not good okay if our head is filled with clouds and we're on the outer rim so far away we can't hear the voice of jesus well that's not good is it but if we can use the space that god gives us during a time of confusion and hold on to christ when there are clouds in our head and we can't find our way. You know, someone wrote a book. I can't even tell you the name of the author. So if I quote it wrong or whatever, but the, the title was Getting Ahead by Staying Behind. And one of the, the things that he, he talked about is, is, as, is if you were in a, in a caravan and let's say, you know, your family and and your children's families, you're all going to go camping into Colorado. And so you're going to caravan yourself there. And, and you've got your walkie-talkies and things like that. But then you start going up into the mountains and you get separated. And now your walkie-talkies aren't working. Okay, Your phones aren't working. You're losing signal. And so uh, what can happen in a caravan is that, is that uh, if you get separated, the lead person will usually come back for you. If you're not coming, they'll come back for you and find you. But if you go off the beaten track, if you go off the instructions trying to look for the leader or to look for others, then uh, you're not going to be found. And so the point of the book was getting ahead by staying behind. And part of staying behind is if you don't know where to go, if you get lost, if if traffic gets in your way, if life harms you, don't go anywhere. Stand still and let your leader find you. Let Jesus find you. He will come back 
and get you when he sees that you, that you got separated from the pack because of life's difficulties. Stand still. It's kind of the same thing that Paul spoke of in Ephesians 6 when he talks about putting on the full armor of God so that you may stand, okay? Even if, you, even if your weapons can't, can't seem to do what they need to do, just to be able to stand still rather than push the, army, the, en- the enemy back. Stand still. God will come for you. See, that's the healthy thing to do. That's what needs to happen. And in the same way, the healthy thing that needs to happen uh, on the other side of our statement here, if your head is in the clouds, that's a good thing. If you are heavenly minded, that's a good thing. As long as you are doing some earthly good. Okay? But if you're only in the clouds, And you are not being the salt of the earth, the light of the world, living bread, spiritual drink to people around you. Then what good are you? Even Jesus warned about this. If you're not producing fruit, what good are you and I but to just be taken off the vine and thrown as kindling into the fire? Don't do that, folks. Don't do that. Okay? Find balance. And spend lots of time with the Lord. Okay? Alright, I'm going to wrap it up. So so great to spend time with all of you. So, let me just say, Happy Independence Day. Weekend. <laughs> okay? And uh, peace. God bless you. In Jesus' name.